0: this is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Lindsay Hamilton and Jim Orr for the first part in a series of podcasts about one of the greatest Scottish managers ever, Sir Alec Ferguson. Join us as we look back at the sometimes forgotten playing career of a true titan of the game ahead of the May 27th release of the documentary film about his life titled Never give in.
1: Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Apart from the two old firm sides, which club has won the Scottish Cup the most? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast.
2: On twenty sixth of April, nineteen sixty nine, the Scottish Cup final was held at Hampden Park, Glasgow. A crowd of one hundred and thirty two thousand eight hundred and seventy crammed into the stadium to see Celtic play Rangers. A record crowd for an old firm match that has never been surpassed. Celtic, under the management of Jockstein, were beginning to dominate Scottish football and were on the cusp of winning a treble. Rangers, by contrast, were looking to spoil their big rivals' day by taking the Cup back to Edinburgh. The Light Blues were the favourites for the Cup. This may seem odd, given Celtic were dominating at the time, but the Gers had beaten Aberdeen 6-1 in the semi-finals. Rangers had also not lost a Scottish Cup final since 1929, when they were defeated 2-0 by Kilmarnock. 40 years undefeated in the Scottish Cup finals, during which they won 14 finals. Instead of being a narrow game, it was an absolute rout for the Hoops, as they defeated Rangers 4-0. The first goal came from Billy McNeil header, where he was left almost unmarked in the Rangers penalty area. The player who was supposed to be marking McNeil was a striker who had been dragged out of position and should not have had to be marking the Celtic captain. That player was Alex Ferguson. The Rangers fan who had idolised the club from a young age would unfortunately be made the scapegoat for his error. The club's manager Davy White used this as an excuse to get rid of Ferguson, who left Ibrooks under a cloud in the summer after the final. He'd be transferred to Falkirk, where he would go on to rediscover his spark ultimately, but would be an episode that would ultimately sour his career as a good striker in Scottish football. This is the story of Sir Alex Ferguson, the player.
0: Alexander Chapman Ferguson was born in Govan on the 31st of December 1941 to Elizabeth and Alexander Beaton Ferguson. He was brought up in a tenement flat at 667 Govan Road where he lived with his parents and his younger brother Martin who was born in 1942. The two brothers got on well, but were always involved in fierce competition when playing sports or games, with one forever trying to outdo the other. The two brothers had a passion for playing football, as many young boys in Glasgow did at the time. Huge games in streets and parks would often go on from dawn till dusk, only stopping for the inconvenience of mealtimes, and the two brothers honed their skills on the streets of Govan. Govan was a deprived neighbourhood like many areas of Glasgow, and people did what they could to get by in life. Ferguson reflected on his upbringing and the street games by saying, No one had any money. If you owned a football, you were guaranteed a place in the team. We'd make you captain if it was your ball. The Ferguson family also had a football rivalry themselves. Their father, Alex Senior, was a Celtic fan and the chairman of a Celtic supporters club. And unusually for the time, Alex Senior was a Protestant. In the 1940s and 50s, it was commonly assumed that in Glasgow, Protestants supported Rangers and Catholics supported Celtic. But Alex Senior was breaking down barriers. While Alex Senior would take his two sons to games at Celtic Park when they were very young, once young Alex started attending Broome Road Primary School, a stone's throw away from Ibrox, there would only be one team for him. At any opportunity he could get, the young Alec would be desperate to go to Rangers games and once talked of being caught sneaking into Ibrox for free as a youngster. Jimmy Hamilton of the Hamden Football Memories group was a childhood friend of Alec and Jimmy's mother always liked having young Fergie around at her house because he always made others feel good with his enthusiasm. Ferguson's school teacher Elizabeth Thompson described Alec as a very normal, nice boy, who was bright, but not particularly interested in schoolwork. Another teacher, Bill Dobie, described how Alec loved singing, but years later, friends and colleagues at Manchester United would bemoan his attempts to try and hold a tune. The young Alec was clever enough to gain entry to Govan High School in 1954, a privilege not afforded to all children at the time. Alec played football for his school team, as well as Harmony Row Boys Club and Drumchapel Amateurs FC. Drumchapel Amateurs was a famous youth team that had a reputation for bringing through players such as Ferguson, Walter Smith, Archie Gemmel, and more high-profile Scottish talent. When the drums founder Douglas Smith had his portrait unveiled in 2014 at the Scottish Football Museum in Hampden Park, Sir Alec unveiled the portrait. On leaving school, Alex found
2: himself an apprenticeship in Hillington as a toolmaker at Remington Rand, rising to become a union shop steward. He was able to continue to play football and in 1958 signed for Queen's Park at the age of 16. Queen's Park were playing Division 2 at the time and were the only amateur team in the professional league structure. He made his debut on the 15th of November 1958 against Stranraer at Stair Park and although he would describe his debut as a nightmare, he did score the Spiders' goal in a 2-1 defeat. The Evening Times reported that Fergie could have had a double in the game where both sides had a man sent off. The following week he was on the winning side and scored again this time at Hamden against Alloa, as the Spiders defeated the Wasps 4-2. In his time at Queen's Park, he had a few runs in the team, but was never really a settled starter in the days before substitutes. One of the games he would probably rather forget came at Palmerston Park in Dumfries on Boxing Day 1959. Queen's Park ended up on the wrong side of a 7-1 scoreline, with the only consolation being that it was Fergie who netted for the Spiders in a day where the Doonhammers dominated. Ferguson would play his final league match for the Spiders in a 2-1 win over Brechin City at Hamden where he scored his 15th goal for the club. Days later, he played in the Glasgow Merchants' Charity Cup where Queen's Park lost 3-0 at Caskin Park to 3rd Lanark. The Spiders finished 11th in the 2nd Division out of 19 teams and Alec was about to sign for the team that had finished top of the division. Having never settled in the first team at Queen's Park, Alec was transferred to St. Johnson in the summer of 1960. At the time, the Perth Saints were managed by former Queen's Park and Rangers goalkeeper, Bobby Brown, and it would be Brown's job to keep the Perth side in the first division, having got them there in the first place. Ferguson got off to a good start at Muirton Park, making his debut for Saints in a 7-1 defeat of Falkirk in a League Cup sectional match. In that match, Fergie grabbed one of the goals, and St. Johnson was 6-0 up at halftime. Despite this good start, Alex struggled to command a place in the first team at Milton. In 1962, he played in the end-of-season derby match against Dundee at Muirton, where the Dartlos won the league and relegated Saints by a margin of one goal. Despite Alex putting the ball in the net for what would have left the scoreline at 3-3, and a respite from relegation, the referee, Cowan, disallowed the goal. This loss meant a return to the second division. Often appearing in the reserves, he broke his nose, cheekbone and eyebrow in a reserve tie against Airdrie. One soak of luck after this game was meeting his future wife Cathy Holding at the Lecardo in Glasgow. At first she thought he was a boxer with his facial injuries, but the two hit it off quickly. On returning from his injury, he was back in the reserves and ended up on the wrong side of three bad defeats in succession. 8-1, 7-0 and 9-2 losses, second Alex. And none of the consolation goals were scored by him. Things were so bad, he considered chucking football altogether in 1963 and even took out emigration papers for Canada. One night in December of 1963, Alex asked his brother Martin's girlfriend to call Bobby Brown and pretend to be his mother and claim that he had the flu. In reality, Alex was swimming with his friends in Glasgow at the local baths. Alex's parents castigated him on finding out what he'd done. They'd received a telegram from Bobby Brown, asking Alex to call him. When Alex phoned his manager from the local phone box, he was told he'd be starting against Rangers the next day. Five Saints players had the real flu, and this would be the start of something
0: special. This game changed everything. A chance to impress at Ibrox against his boyhood heroes turned into one of Alex's best ever days in football. On the 21st of December 1963, St Johnston defeated Rangers 3-2 courtesy of a hat-trick from Alec Ferguson. The Evening Times headline read, Ferguson puts heat on Rangers. It wouldn't be the last time Alec Ferguson's name would appear on the back pages of a newspaper. He later said of his goal scoring exploits in this match, I scored the hat-trick and became the first player to do so against Rangers at Ibrox. It changed my life. It certainly did change his life. In the summer of 1964, the Infermline Athletic were interested in signing Ferguson, who had decided to give full-time football a shot. Gone was the man who had wanted to chuck it and go to Canada. This was a reinvigorated centre forward who was desperate to score goals. The two clubs agreed a swap deal, with Ferguson going to East End Park and Dan McClendon going to Muirton Park. At the time, Dunfermline were going through arguably their greatest ever period that had started with the appointment of Jock Steen as manager in March of 1960. Steen took Dunfermline to a Scottish Cup victory over Celtic in 1961 and followed that up with impressive runs in the league and in Europe. While Ferguson later said he would have loved to have played under Steen, Big Jock had left Dunfermline for Hibernian the week before the young striker arrived in Fife. Alec was now a full-time player, and would start to find the net regularly for the pars. His new manager Willie Cunningham was keen to play Alec regularly, and it didn't take long for Ferguson to start scoring. In each of his first three games for the pars he found the net, including a hat-trick which would be the first of seven he would score for Dunfermline. The 1964-65 season was one of the most exciting ever seen in the Scottish First Division with the Pars in contention for the title alongside Hibernian, Heart of Midlothian and eventual title winners Kilmarnock. Remarkably, both Old Firm sides finished outside of the top four. In his first season at East End Park, Alec finished as Dunfermline's top scorer. The Pars also embarked on a memorable run in the Scottish Cup, going all the way to the final. Unfortunately for Alec, He was not picked by Willie Cunningham to play in the final. On the same day as the league title was decided, the Pars lost narrowly to Celtic who had recently appointed Jock Steen to replace Jimmy McGrory. Steen's time at Hibernian had not lasted long and for Celtic it would lead to an era of domestic dominance. The Pars continued to be in good form under Cunningham the next season, Ferguson's form in front of goal continued to be electrifying and in 1965-66 he finished as joint top goalscorer in the Scottish League with Joe McBride of Celtic, with both players scoring 31 goals. In total, Alec scored 45 goals in all competitions that season. 1966 was to be a good year overall for Alec. As well as his goalscoring exploits, He married Cathy that year at a registry office in Glasgow in a small ceremony. The following season his good form continued, and he attracted the attention of the Scotland selectors. Alec got a Scotland call-up for Bobby Brown's first match in charge of the national team against England at Wembley in 1967. Alec had hoped that he would be able to start for Scotland against the old enemy, as Dennis Law was a doubt for the game. However, Law proved himself to be fit enough and it would have to be a seat in the main stand for Fergie. Who knows what could have happened if Ferguson had started instead of Law, but Dennis Law did open the scoring in a famous 3-2 victory for Scotland. Ferguson did appear for Scotland seven times in a Tour of Australia in the summer of 1967, scoring nine goals, an excellent return. Unfortunately, Caps were only awarded to Scotland players at the time for appearing in competitive matches, but he had worn the dark blue of Scotland and had done himself no harm by scoring often on the tour Down Under. In fact, his exploits in dark blue would soon lead to him wearing light blue. Daily Record journalist Alec Cameron was given a call one day by the Dunfermline manager George Farn, who told Cameron... If you happen to be at Ibrook's tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, you'll see somebody walking up to me. you know who it is, and he's going to sign for Rangers. Alec Ferguson was of course the player in question, and Rangers paid the PARS an estimated £65,000 to secure the striker's services, the equivalent of roughly £1.2 million in today's money. Scott Simon was badly needing a centre-forward to try and keep up with Jockstein's Celtic team, and he thought he'd found the answer when Ferguson arrived on the same day as Orian Persson from Dundee United. John Gregg even went so far as to say that, at the time Alec was probably the best player in Scotland in that position, which is hard to argue given his record at Dunfermline.
1: While Rangers missed out on the title by two points in 1968, Ferguson was getting goals for the light blues, particularly in the First Cities Cup. One memorable game saw him score a double at Ibrox against FC Cologne of West Germany. Rangers were eliminated from the competition by Don League United in the quarterfinals. The following season, Alex would make the headlines in Europe again by scoring against Atletico Madrid of Spain, taking the Jers to the semi-finals of the competition. Domestically, though, things were far from ideal for Ferguson due to the purchase of Colin Steen from Hibernian limiting his game time. While it was Scott Simon who had signed Fergie, he was sensationally replaced by the Ibricks board in November of 1967 by assistant Davy White. This was an odd decision looking at things from the outset, given Simon had Rangers sitting top of the table at the time. However, Simon had been blamed by the board for their worst ever Scottish Cup defeat away to Berwick Rangers in January 1967. White and Ferguson did not always see eye to eye, and when Rangers bought Steen, Ferguson was asked if he would go to Easter Road as part of a swap deal, but he refused to leave Ibrooks. Rangers almost took the title in the next season, but were beaten by Aberdeen on the final day of the season, despite Ferguson scoring Rangers' second goal in a 3-2 defeat. Despite these setbacks, Ferguson had a big chance to redeem himself in the 1969 Scottish Cup final in front of a huge Hampden crowd. Instead of redemption though came humiliation as Rangers were soundly beaten 4-0, with Ferguson being blamed for failing to mark Billy McNeil for his goal in the third minute of the match. McNeil claimed it was one of the easiest goals I've ever scored and couldn't believe the amount of space he had to win the header that led to the goal. Rangers had suffered from Colin Steen being unavailable through suspension and had been outclassed by Jock Steen's Celtic. As a result of this, Ferguson threw his loser's medal away and requested a transfer out of Ibrox. What should have been the boyhood Rangers fans' dream come true had instead turned into a nightmare. Years later, with plenty of managerial experience himself, Fergie said of White that he was too young and inexperienced for the Ibrox job given it was one of the biggest jobs in Britain at the time.
0: The question for Alec Ferguson was now where he would end up going. Nottingham Forest's manager, Matt Gillies, was interested in signing him. But while the lure of playing in England was tempting, Cathy Ferguson was not keen on the idea of leaving Scotland. Willie Cunningham's Falkirk were keen to sign Alec, but as they were in the second division he wasn't immediately convinced it was the right move. However, a phone call with his old manager from his Dunfermline days sold him on the proposition. Ironically, right after the call took place, Ferguson bumped into Willie Thornton, who let him know that he didn't really need to go if he didn't want to. Fergie recalled, What he was trying to tell me is that there was going to be a change at Rangers. I didn't read it, and the next week Willie Waddle was the new manager of Rangers. Had I stayed, I think I would have been alright. As it was, Ferguson had made the decision to leave and get a fresh start at Brockville. He signed for a fee of £20,000 and left Ibrooks having scored 36 goals in 69 appearances for the jers
1: in addition to playing for the Burns, Ferguson was starting to think about his career after playing football. Cunningham saw that Ferguson had a keen eye for tactics and promoted him to play a coach, allowing him to assist with the reserve team and gain plenty of coaching experience. Things were going well at Brockville for Fergie and it looked as if he would be possibly replacing Cunningham at the end of his tenure. However, things didn't quite go to plan. Cunningham was replaced as Falkirk manager by John Prentice in April 1973 and things started to go wrong for Ferguson. His coaching duties were revoked and it became clear that the striker would not be part of his new manager's plans. Alec requested a transfer and signed for Air United in the summer of 1973. At the time, Air were managed by Ali McLeod, who was making a name for himself as a young manager who was going places and he could see that a veteran striker such as Ferguson would be ideal for the honest men. After one season at Somerset Park, where Ferguson scored nine goals in 24 league games, he decided to hang up his boots and go into management. And his first destination in the dugout would prove to be very unusual indeed. At the start of the podcast, we asked you which team had won the Scottish Cup the most outside of the two old firm teams. The answer is Queen's Park. The Spiders won the first ever competition in 1874, beating Clivesdale in the final, and would retain the cup in the next two seasons. Despite having more Scottish Cups than any other club outside of Rangers and Celtic, Queen's Park last won the Scottish Cup in 1893.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from ITV, Managing My Life by Sir Alec Ferguson, The Lawman by Sky Sports, St Johnston FC, Dunfermline Athletic FC, Rangers FC, The Falkirk Herald, Daily Record, Glasgow Herald and Glasgow Times. Special thanks to Jimmy Hamilton and Martin Ferguson.